Let us pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross, be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, we're, we're, um, we're at the end of the season of Epiphany, um, and our, our way that we've started our services over the last, um, whatever that number of weeks has been, seven, I think, um, has been by uh, our first acclamation is, I will make you as a light for the nations, and then your response has been that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then, uh, as we have not necessarily been following the lectionary, uh, we have been in uh, the Gospel of Luke and going through, and it's that same theme that's been running, where the Gospel is going forth to the ends of the nations. As we've discussed these things, over the last few weeks, we've run into uh, multiple lessons where we have been encouraged to understand that church attendance does not necessarily equal salvation. And so we have had to be pressed to think through with discernment, and and it's not for us to judge who's to be saved, who's not to be saved, but we don't want to take for granted just because somebody's in the church that they are somebody who is truly saved. And that's been the kind of a theme for multiple lessons that we've been into between here and our life group. Um, The thing that... The thing that has come up is that for those who really believe, there should be a visible transformation. There should be some transformation in, in a person's life as they come to Christ, truly believe, and are shaped and formed by Him. They have a hunger for God's Word. They have a hunger for God's people. And then they have a desire to put sin to death. So those are kind of the traits that we see in those who believe, and we've been encouraged to think on these things. Have you ever had the pleasure, we're we're kind of turning the corner from that to put a positive light on that, have you ever had the pleasure of seeing someone come to Christ or being young in their faith and take hold of the Word of God and start to grow in their faith? And you see the transformation in their lives. There are common traits among the great big category of church people that uh, don't fit the one who has been truly born again, and the one who, who have witnessed come to Christ and grow in their faith. The, the, the normal church categories don't necessarily fit that. Uh, Becky was telling me <clears throat> about uh, one of the gymnasts at the gym from some time back who grew up and became a coach, and she told Becky that she was one of the nicest Christians she ever knew. And, and, and so there are, there, whatever that strikes in you, not how nice Becky is, but the contrast is what the point was. And there are categories, there are characteristics or traits of church people. Uh, you know, the church lady on Saturday Night Live. There are characteristics of church people that don't necessarily line up with those who've been truly born again and are living for him. Those are the people who've been gripped by his grace. This lesson begins with, in that same hour... So we need to understand and be reminded of the context where this falls so that we can, so that we can understand what's going on why, and why, why even start in that same hour. Well, the 72, if you'll look back in the beginning of 10, from 10, 1 through 20, 
is the uh, lesson we covered last week, and, and last week I did kind of supersize you. Today we'll hopefully be a little more efficient, but uh, there was a lot to cover last week, and last week we were talking about the 72 being sent out to spread, the, they, they had the same message that the 12 did in the previous chapters where the 12 were sent out. They were to go and preach the kingdom of God had come, and then they were given the authority and power to um, have signs and wonders performed by them. They had authority over demons, and um, which gave validity to their word, and they were visiting the places where Jesus intended to visit on his way to Jerusalem. So that's, that's the context, except to, to get closer to the context to this, these words of in that same hour, it's as they returned, and there was this celebration of what God had been doing through them in their missionary journey. And so there was this celebration at the end, and they were thrilled that they had power over demons and how they could, how, how they could uh, see the demons fall. And Jesus encouraged them to take, take their, uh, get, be grateful that their names were written in heaven. Not, not, that, not that demons were subject to them, but that they were, their names were written in heaven. So it's, that's, that's the, uh, let me see if I can, I can actually find that. In verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus wasn't as uh, excited or impressed by the signs and wonders that they performed, even though in the performing of those, he saw Satan fall like uh, a star from the sky. He, he saw that they, they had a, uh, an effective ministry. And he, he did rejoice with them in that. But then he tells them, rejoice more that your names are written in heaven. So that's the context. And... Uh, and we'll jump in here to understand what we're looking at. I think the main point of this passage, 21 through 24, is religion turns to faith through revelation of Christ by the loving act of God. So in order to bridge that gap between those who are under those big categories of church people and those who truly believe, I think here's the thing. Religion turns to faith through revelation of Christ by the loving act of God. So this is what we're going to look at. So it's out of that context we jump into verse 21. It says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Well, So again, we come to a passage that not only seems strange to our modern ears, but actually harsh. And if, and, and if you haven't picked up on the harshness, we need to visit it again. He's thanking God, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. This seems very harsh in our modern ears, particularly. Because we live in a time where everyone should be included into everything and have full access to everything, regardless of everything. There can be no exclusions. If you exclude anybody for any reasons, you are prejudiced and perhaps a bigot. There are stories today of transgender, male transgendered uh, athletes running on 
girls' track teams and winning. And that's to be embraced. So much so that the Olympics are embracing those athletes. But how could you stand against them because they think they're a female? That's that's, That's the characteristic of where we live, what we're living in. This past week, the, uh, the United Methodist Church at a general, a called general conference. They have one every four years, a, a general conference. This was a called conference, meaning a special conference to, uh, discuss the inclusion, the full inclusion of the LGBTQ community, whether they would have a full inclusion or would they uphold the biblical standards of marriage, uh, human sexuality and uh, at least their biblical standards for ordination. And as it turns out, they uh, actually upheld the biblical standards as they have had. Um, without going into the weeds, I could argue some things about their ordination, but, but they, they took a stand still for the biblical uh, understanding of human sexuality, of marriage, and, of, of, and their understanding of ordination. So they, they held on to those things, which is actually a remarkable thing in our day and age where a mainline and basically liberal church holds to biblical truth. They stood against the machine, if you will, in large part because of the African delegation. If, it, if they were, if they were um, limited to just the United States, um, it would have been the other way around. But because there was an African delegation and, and some other countries uh, that held strong, they, they remained in this, this a, a faithful and orthodox, at least in their documents. Now, whether they practice, whatever they, whoever practices what, who knows, and how they manage that, I don't know. But, and that's not my thing. But, but they did take a stand. And this was a good thing, not because they're against people who are gay, but because this is the biblical standard. But because they voted the way they did, then the other side has been saying they are big, what, what has been voted on has been bigotry and uh, oppression because that's the way they've been wired to think. And if we're, and they are not calling, their, their whole problem is not homosexuality. Their problem is the way they read scripture anyway. Um, and, and yes, it's still, it, it was possible for the last 2,000 years. It will be possible for the next 2,000 years to actually understand scripture, to see what God's calling a sin. We don't have to embrace sin in order to love people. We love one another. And we are sinners who are needing grace, and we come to the cross to find that. But we do that through repentance and faith. Now, we want to love everybody in this town in that same way, but we can't compromise standards that Jesus has laid out. We've still, it's by faith and repentance. We're going to repent and believe um, but that's, that, those are modern things for us to think about. I mean, those are very current things that are examples of full inclusion where it must, you know, must, must be full inclusion. That's where we live. It's how we, it's how we operate. And last, you know, some, sometimes it's okay to, to, uh, it's okay to, to, to ban a Christian, like, you know, full inclusion doesn't need to happen if you wanted to just go into the school and teach a Bible class that they don't need to let you because you're teaching Bible. If it were anything else, okay. So it's an interesting time in which we live, and it's an interesting time of, of for for us to be Christians as lights into this world. But 
back to the text, how do we interpret these words of Jesus? This seems extremely harsh. He's praising God, not um, he's praising God for, for not revealing the goodness of the, the, the salvation in the kingdom of God. He's, he's, re, he's praising him for not revealing that to the wise, but he's made it known to the simple, to the little children, the unlearned, the common person. The, the Greek term used for little children would be infants. So we, we could understand that as you re, you've, you've uh, made this known to infants. Now, in my early church life, the most educated people I was uh, able to be around, they seemed to be the most lost. Now, they were obviously intelligent, uh, far more intelligent than I was, or am, or ever will be. They, they were very intelligent. But it was also obvious that they really haven't been gripped by the goodness of God and transformed. They had a huge intellectual ability to approach Scripture and to discuss things through a particular uh, worldview lens. But there didn't seem to be a transforming power. Now, these would be more like those religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those people had a legalistic view of what it took to please God. They were all about keeping law. They didn't understand grace. We have that's a common issue in the church even today. There's a understanding to please God, you need to do it through law. It's not understand, there's no understanding of grace. They knew a lot about him like those people in my early church experience, but they didn't know him. But why did they not know him? It's because he chose not to reveal himself to them. So instead, he chose the unlearned people, the, um, the common, the basic, the simple, and to reveal his gracious saving power. There is something beautiful about those who have not been polluted by religion before meeting Jesus. Some of the most passionate, committed Christians I know have come to Christ in that way. Not, not that they've been hanging out in the church for years and years, but they had come to faith having no real church experience. But it's one of those things, and this kind of gives us the image of a, an infant, where as an infant, the training that they, there's, there's not so much unlearning that has to happen. For some of us that have been in church for a long time, when we come to the true gospel, we're always fighting tendencies and learning that we have had from the false gospels we've heard, from the natural thing that comes from inside of us, from that works righteousness kind of mentality we have. And some of us have been steeped in prior to coming to a real understanding of the real gospel. So those are the things that a lot of us are fighting. Well, you take somebody who's never been exposed to that, but they come into a place that's expounding on the real gospel, and then it's this flourishing. So it's a lot like taking a baby who needs nourishment, and you're giving it the best nourishment possible, as opposed to having one come to age 10 who has been malnourished, and now you kind of need to turn that thing around. But these people who received this grace, they were humbled by his grace, and then they seek, their, they seek his will for their lives. Now, the learned and the wise by worldly standards, they're often subject to pride, they don't really need Jesus' help. 
they may think that their blessed position is because of God's approval. God likes me as it is, and therefore I've been able to accomplish this, 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 and this. I've been able to earn this, this, and this. But everyone, the Bible tells us, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way to Jesus is through a humble approach. 1 Corinthians says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So as weak ones, as, as, as uh, unlearned, as the unwise, as the common people, we can give great thanks that he has revealed his will to us. Have you come to Jesus as a little child, trusting him for salvation? God delights to reveal himself to those who are willing to open their eyes or their hearts and be shaped by his grace through his word. Now, many think this is unfair for God to reveal himself to some and not others, which is exactly what the text is saying here. And it seems very unfair. But the unfair thing is that he reveals himself to any at all. We really don't want fairness. If we understood the degree to which we have offended him, and that we actually really did deserve, or do deserve, his condemnation, his wrath and curse, then we too would delight that he has revealed himself to those who come to him as little children. So, there's a revelation of Christ to the least. Now we see that there's revelation through Jesus. So, the, he's, he's celebrating in these things, celebrating that the revelation came to the, to the least. Now revelation is through Jesus. Verse 22 says, All things have been, given, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, now, if the last point hasn't bothered you enough, that only those who God chooses to uh, reveal himself will know him, This point is about God's sovereign election. No one can know God the Father except those to whom God the Son reveals him. Jesus is simply the the dispenser of the revelation of God the Father. No one can come to God on their own terms. We want so badly for everything to be equal. But Ephesians 2, 1 says... And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we are spiritually dead because of our sins. And we need to be born again from above. Like Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, that you have to be born again from above. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in you. This is beyond your ability. It is not that everybody, every man, woman, and child, has been regenerated. because, And then it's up to them to choose. That is really not a biblical uh, explanation of salvation. The biblical explanation of salvation would be that Jesus is the one who's going to reveal God the Father upon God choosing whom to reveal. And then, by the work of the Holy Spirit, he makes one alive so that they then, yes, by their own will, choose Christ. How does he do that and not violate our will? I don't know. That's me on my ability to explain. I could probably put more words to it and make us more comfortable with it, but I still can't explain it. Somehow, in the mystery of God, he lets us run hard long after what we want, which is not him, it's sin. 
And then somewhere along the line, he works in us so that when we hear somebody speak to us, we hear friends uh, talk to us, minister, uh, minister to us, we hear the preaching of the word. It can be a number of things that ultimately start to bring us to him. And our experience says it's us making right choices, but the reality is we would not make a right choice for him if it weren't for him. We didn't come to know him because we're good. We didn't come to know him because we're smart. We only come because Jesus has opened the eyes of our heart, like we sang, which is an old song and it's not terribly deep, but I I thought of it as I was going through this passage. And it's open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Allow me to see because we're trusting in him to do that. We know that it's beyond our ability. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I was telling them that you were common folk. And it's still by God's gracious will that he worked in you to reveal this beautiful gospel to you. If, if we want to know God, we want to know Jesus. We look to Jesus to know God. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Jesus displayed the character of God in perfect form. So if you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. So in 23, we come to a blessed by revelation point. Um, you know, so there's revelation to the least, there's revelation through Jesus, and then there's blessed by revelation. So in 23... It says, then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where it talks about Jesus rejoicing. Now, there has to have been many times throughout his ministry that Jesus rejoiced, But this is the only time it's recorded in the New Testament where he was rejoicing. His heart rejoiced in seeing that God enabled the common, the poor, the weak to receive this news of salvation. Then with gratitude, he turns to his disciples and blesses them. In his blessing, he reminds them of how blessed they are. He reminds us of how blessed we are. There were prophets, there were kings who had desired to see the coming of the kingdom. The New Testament even talks about, in the temple, about Simeon and Anna. Those who had uh, been expecting to see the Messiah. Those who had uh, been waiting a long time, they were a very old age. And now once they had seen that the Messiah had come, confirmation of who Jesus was as a boy, it's like, okay, I'm ready to go on now. This is what I've been waiting for. But they were kind of like the last of those who were expecting to see. There were, for centuries prior, there were these people who were looking forward to see what was happening, to see this coming of the Messiah, that were foretelling about the Messiah to come. Jesus reminds his, his uh, followers are, that they are blessed because of the revelation that they have received. Again, we, we, just, don't, we just don't take it for granted that we're able to even know him. He's, he, he is that holy other. He is different than we are. So we are blessed if we even know him. Those preparatory times of God working among his people to point toward the Messiah had come to an end. 
And with the spreading of the good news of the kingdom, Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven. He was in the process, Satan was in the process of being defeated. And then soon, as, as, as we flip the pages, as we approach Good Friday, Jesus will deliver a lethal blow, blow to Satan on the cross. And then finally, that defeating decisive step as he rises from the grave and conquers death. The difference between what the old prophets saw, the old kings saw, and what we see, J.C. Ryle says, is the difference between twilight and noonday, of wintertime and summer, of a mind of a child and the mind of a full-grown man. I think, that, I think that's beautiful. It's one of those things where they were looking forward to seeing this come, and we have now seen it and experienced it, have the Holy Spirit in us to help us uh, know and capture this grace. So, for us, may we be reminded of Jesus' words, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. In the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.